Amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, get a Bible on your lap and turn to Psalm 56. If you need a Bible uh, under a seat nearby you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please leave with that. We would love to give that to you today. Psalm uh, 56. Uh, 22 years ago, a book came out written by a counselor named Ed Welch. And uh, the title of this book is When People Are Big and God is Small. And I remember the first time I saw the cover of this book. It was about 10 years ago. I was at a biblical counseling conference, and I was looking at the resources they had there. And the title of this book just uh, it, 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 it jumped off the bookshelf at me because when I read that title, there was something about just the words of that uh, that put to words this lifelong struggle that I had had personally of people being very, very very, very, very big, and God at times being very, very, very small. And uh, this book unpacks a fear that I think is uh, prevalent. I know it's prevalent in my heart, and I think it's prevalent in our culture, but it's a fear that the Bible calls uh, the fear of man. And um, uh, the book of Proverbs speaks to the fear of man. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says this, uh, the fear of man lays a snare. And so again, when Scripture paints a picture, see the picture. A snare is a trap that an animal steps in, and the moment they step in it, uh, uh, it uh, the string or the wire or whatever it is locks around their leg and keeps them bondage to that trap right there. And the Bible tells us that the fear of man, it lays a snare. It's a trap that we step into, and then it just grips around us. And it, then it says this, but whoever, and what's that next word say? But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Uh, we're going to see this play out in this psalm that we're studying. And um, I have been personally studying the psalms uh, this year as part of my Bible reading plan. And uh, throughout the year, I would earmark uh, psalms, uh, knowing that I was going to teach through the psalms in the summer, psalms that I wanted to teach on. And it just so happened that uh, the three psalms that I've led off with this summer have been all psalms that revolve around the theme of fear in some way. And it's been a, just a, uh, um, it has revealed to me how much I had been battling fear in my own heart and how subtle and sneaky fear can be, right? Like we, we always think of fear as this obvious emotion that when we get into a really intense situation, we're like, oh, I'm fearful. What we often forget about fear is that subtle underlying kind of ever-present there-ness of it that you don't always know how to identify until maybe the word helps pull that out of your heart. And so for this year, the Lord has been using the Psalms to pull out fear in my heart that has been there. And when I, um, I remember where I was uh, you know, preaching a men's conference about a month ago in Missouri, early morning, a Missouri day. Any native Missouri people here? Right, coach, I knew, I knew I'd see your hand. And it was just a beautiful morning early, going through Psalm 56, and the Lord so used this um, to just help me think through a lot of the fear of man issues in my own life. When we're talking about fear of man, we're talking about kind of what that title said. People are really big, and uh, we fear the disapproval of people more than we fear the disapproval of God. We fear disappointing people more than we fear disobeying God. We fear disobeying people more than we fear 
disobeying God. People are big, and their microphone in our head is loud, and God can be smaller, and his microphone in our head is softer. And today the hope is, as we study Psalm 56, that we'd be able to flip the script of that. We would be able to be set free from this snare or this trap That is fear of man. And now I get in the room here today. Some of you are like, oh, I so need this message. I feel, I kind of feel like I'm a puppet. And the people that, they're just this puppeteer that can kind of move me any direction they want. And I'm just at the whim of people. Others, others, you're like, eh, I don't fear anyone. I don't care what people think. I just say what's on my head and I do it and, and, and I know that we're all over the board on this. Um, my hope is that those of you who feel absolutely controlled by fear of man, this would be freeing. And my hope is that those of you who think there's not a fear of man bone in your body, that the scripture might uh, pull up anything that's there. Um, as David writes this, this is one of those Psalms we get a header. Look at what it says right above uh, uh, verse 1 of Psalm 56. It says, To the choir master... According to the dove on far-off terebinths, no idea what that is, some sort of song that would have been known uh, in David's time as he writes this, it's a direction, it's a musical direction, like, hey, play these lyrics to that song melody. Sounds beautiful, right? To the dove on far-off terebinths, a mictam of David. And then it tells us what's going on. When the Philistines Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, I think what this probably is, is a prequel to the psalm that we studied last week. If you remember the psalm we studied last week, it said David was writing that after he had left Gath. And so if you remember the backstory, uh, you know, David has a way more dysfunctional family thing going on than any of ours in the room. His father-in-law doesn't like him. His father-in-law is pursuing him, wants him dead. And so David is on the run. It's this innocent fugitive. Uh, Things have gotten so desperate, he turned to the gates of Gath. Uh, Gath housed his enemies. Gath is where that giant he fought before this is from. And so uh, David, in such a desperate situation, flees to Gath. Uh, We studied last week a psalm that David writes after he leaves Gath. This psalm, it tells us, is David writing when the Philistines seized him in Gath. I think what this probably is, is if you remember the story we looked at in 1 Samuel 20, 21, um, basically he's out on the gates acting crazy, and um, the Philistines bring him in some manner before the king of Gath, and do you remember the king of Gath's response? I got enough crazy in this town already, right? Like we're not bringing one more in it. This man's not, get him out of here, and they let him go. But David writes something while in the hands of the Philistines. And there's, uh, there's two repeating things that, are, that have just been monumental for me as I think about this whole fear of man. Twice David is going to say in this psalm, um, when, I'm, when I'm afraid, I trust in the Lord. What can man do to me? And we're just going to try to slow down and unpack, like if we'll really get that, when I am afraid... I put my trust in the Lord. What can man do to me? And I hope 
that that'll lead us. And so pray with me, and let's ask God to use Psalm 56 in that way. Father, will you please do that? Will you use this psalm? Will you use my very limping and feeble attempt of teaching this psalm, Lord, in a way that your spirit um, would just lock it in our heart, lock the truths of it in our heart, and so that this even very week, this very day, we, it might uh, prove profitable and fruitful in our life. And so, uh, Lord, would, would, would uh, this free us from any fear of man that we might walk in here struggling with? Would it give us a greater fear of you? And, Lord, would it help us to live in the freedom of a life lived in that regard? Lord, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 56, verse 1. David writes, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. And then this first line of verse 3 that I find very, very important for the psalm. When I am, what's the word? When I am afraid. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago as we were studying one of David's songs here. But um, when David writes a line like, when I am afraid... I find that so comforting because I, I, when I picture David, I picture like this young man who came up to this battlefield and this giant of a man is taunting the army of God. He's taunting the Israelites and David walks up and he's like, who's that guy? And what does he think he's doing talking about the people of God like that? Who's going to fight him? And they're like, I'm not going to fight the dude. Look at him. And David's like, I will. And Saul's like, okay, put my armor on. He's like, no, I can't wear this. Well, what are you going to go do? My slingshot. And he walks down to the valley, and he takes out Goliath with a slingshot. And when I think about David, King David, I picture a man who is way above fear. And yet what we find in the Psalms and why I love the Psalms and these lyrics and these almost journal entries of David is he acknowledges when I am afraid, even David struggles with fear. And it's a very real thing. And then you look at the first two verses of this psalm, and uh, David has a very good grasp and understanding of why fear is being produced in his heart. Um, be gracious to me, God. Act on my behalf, God. Why? Because man's trampling me. My attackers are oppressing me. The situation around me looks very dark and very bleak and pretty hopeless. Uh, my father-in-law is coming after me. He's got trained military men that he has access to. I'm in right now the hands of uh, this group of people who I killed their big, kind of their big warrior guy a few years ago. Like life's not looking good for him at this point. And he is, what I love about how this psalm starts is David is not trying to say he's not fearful. David's not trying to deny it. David's not trying to pretend and put on a bravado like, hey, you know, I don't have to be scared of these guys. David's like, when I'm afraid. And he's going to tell us as the psalm goes on what he does with this fear. But I just want to stop and acknowledge the important thing that David does to start this psalm. And it's an important thing I think we need to do to identify any fear of man in our own life. And it's this. Identify who is causing you to fear. So as David starts this, it's very obvious who he's talking about here. It's the people after him to take his life. In our life, fear of man isn't always so obvious. And yet, it could be true that we gather here today afraid of some people. For some of you, it might be like a neon blinking light, like you know who you walk in here afraid of. 
others of us, we might go like, no, I don't, I don't think I struggle with any, like, fear of man. I don't think there's any, like, I don't have any fear of, like, being rejected by anyone. I don't have, I want to just ask a couple questions, and I hope that's true, but I just want to ask a couple questions that might root out any sort of fear of man that we might be living with. And the first question I want to ask is this, do you obey anyone who makes you disobey God? Now, I ask that question because at the heart of that question could be a fear that you have to not disappoint or say no to someone who's asking you to do something that God wouldn't be honored with. And you've maybe never thought that, man, maybe at the heart of that is fear. I'm fearful for disappointing this person, being rejected by this person, or, or I'm fearful of the consequences that this person could enact on me if I do say no to them. And that kind of flows right into the second question, which is uh, almost saying the same thing in a different way. Is there anyone you won't say no to, even when saying no to them is saying yes to God? Just think about that. You can think about, uh, uh, you know, authorities in your workplace who at times can ask you maybe to do something that would shade the ethical lines, you know, get kind of gray uh, between services. A guy comes up and said, yeah, you know, uh, supervisor asked me to do something pretty unethical. I said no, and all of a sudden, there goes car, insurance, and salary. Boom. Like, that's very real stuff. And yet the guy at that moment is choosing to honor God above honoring this person. Uh, and then this third question, and I'll explain this one and how this might get at any fear of man in our life. Do you find yourself chameleoning? I coined that. You like that? You find yourself chameleoning with certain people. You are one person with one group. You talk a certain way with one group. You act a certain way with one group. And you act a different way. You talk a different way with another group. You're a certain shade of color with this group and another shade of color with that group and another shade of color with that group. Why? Why? why what does this have to do with fear of man at all? Is it possible that you live like this because you live constantly in the fear of rejection or not being accepted by certain people or certain groups of people? Um, I was out at our new house, and I was cutting wood, and all of a sudden, the farmer who lives right around there came over to introduce himself, and um, I stopped the chainsaw, and we're talking, and he's a farmer and grew up as a farmer, and all of a sudden, I'm about a halfway through this conversation, and I'm like, why am I talking like a farmer? I'm very much not a farmer. Reckon, reckon uh, fields are going to yield some good crop this year? I'm like, what am I even saying? I didn't say reckon, I promise. And I remember the conversation ended. He left. I started the chainsaw again. And to the hum of the chainsaw, I just began to think, Brock, what was that? Like, who were, who, like, if Erica would have been there, she would have been like, what are you, who are you, what are you doing? Just be Brock. And I, I, I can look in my life and go, man, I've lived the whole chameleon thing. Just try. Why? Why? It's stupid. Uh, because I didn't, I feared the rejection of a guy who I had met for the first time. Like fear of man is a very subtle and real thing. And I think when you read Psalm 56 and when we read what David's about to write, we're like, oh, his fear is, of man is so obvious and so avert because people are literally after him to kill him. There's, there's this fear of man that's not a fear of anyone coming after us to kill us. It's just a fear of like, I want people to approve of me so badly that I fear their disapproval in any 
way. I fear disappointing them in any way. I fear, that, I fear the consequences of what they could do if they don't accept me. And so um, I think it's just important that we identify any of that in our own life. Now, look at what David does. Because he states, to start verse 3, when I am afraid, and then he tells us what he does with this fear. When I am afraid, I put my, and what's the word? Say it again. I put my what? I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So let's just kind of unpack this. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, we kind of in our Christian circles and our cliche, churchy language, someone could be struggling with fear, and we just look at them and say, hey, come on, man, you just need to trust the Lord. And, you know, we've said that to people, I've said that to people, people have said it to you, and you're like, I know, help me trust the Lord. I want to trust the Lord. When David writes, just so we don't hear that as kind of the cliche, hey, just trust the Lord. When David writes, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Um, To put our trust in someone is to completely have a firm belief in their reliability, in the truth, in their ability, and in their strength. So when David says, there are times I'm afraid, and right now I'm afraid of people, and what I do in those times is I put my trust, I put complete trust. I put complete belief in the strength and the reliability and the truth of God. I just crawl up and I just put all of the weight, all of the belief, all the trust in who the Lord is. And now there's something really important. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you in God, verse 4, whose word I praise. I just want to recognize that David is not at fearful times putting his trust in a God of his imagination and a God of his own forming and fashioning. David is putting his trust in the God of the word, the God who's revealed himself in scripture. That's who he's clinging to. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, God, whose word I praise and God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And it's almost this rhetorical question that David is asking. Think of what he just said here. With people on his heels wanting him dead, he goes, all right, all right. I just put, my trust is in the God of the universe, creator of all. What can man possibly do to me? And you're thinking, I was thinking as I was studying it this week, that's not such a rhetorical question, David. They could find you and kill you. That's what man could do to you. And that's how fear works. Uh, Back to kind of our everyday life, think of you saying no to the supervisor or boss who asks you to do something unethical. And you want to say, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can that guy do to me? And then very practically you think, well, he could uh, fire me. And there goes our salary, and there goes our ability to provide for our family. How does the Word of God help us sort those fears? 
How does the word of God, how does, how does when David say, in God I trust, in God whose word I praise, how does the word of God help us when those types of very practical fears come in our head? If I say no, he can fire me. There goes our salary. How do I provide for our family? The word of God would say, Jesus' words, um, look at the birds of the air. Do you see how I feed them? Look at the flowers of the field. Do you see how I clothe them? If the birds of the air are fed like that and the flowers of the field are clothed like that, how much more value are you to me than the birds and the flowers? And I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, I just repeat those verses and boom, no fear. I'm saying that helps us over fears like that. How do you think um, Christians around the world who are living in areas of persecution, who their situation is a very much more similar uh, to David's Psalm 56 situation, where at any time, as they gather to meet, or as any time as they're in their homes, authorities or people can come in, literally pull them out, take their lives, take family members. How do they persist in following Jesus in a culture like that? I think they cling to the words of Christ in Scripture when Jesus says something like, do not fear those who can kill the body but can't touch the soul. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul. This is how the word can help us navigate all kinds of fears, but especially fear of people. Let me just tell you something. The most powerful person you will ever meet is just a man or just a woman. The most powerful person you will ever meet on this earth is a mere mortal. They, will, they, are, they were born in the same way you were. They will live the allotted amount of days that God has given them, and then they will die. We serve a God who is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, who is all-powerful and almighty and completely majestic and supreme. That's why David can say, in God I trust, what can man do to me? This is what we have to cling to when we sense ourselves getting fearful of what some mere mortal like us would think or how, what happens if I say no to them. And this is what David's clinging to with people on his heels who are wanting to kill him. Now, um, something interesting, I think, happens in the psalm. I think David cycles back through these two things. So we identify who is causing you fear. The second thing, we put our trust in God who's stronger than anyone that we fear. And then I think David cycles back through these themes before he comes to the conclusion. So I think he's again going to identify these people causing him fear. Look at where he goes in verse 5. He says, all day long they injure my cause. He's back to the situation at hand. He's back to the circumstances surrounding him. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape, God. Lord, for their crime will they escape. Lord, where's justice? Will justice rain down? Look at what he asks next at the end of verse 7. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. There is, in that phrase, an, what's called an imprecatory, an imprecatory element of this psalm. 
there are what are called imprecatory psalms. What are imprecatory psalms? Imprecatory psalms are psalms that you'll come across in the Bible that are asking for God to rain down justice on enemies. It's the psalm when you're reading and it's a nice peaceful morning and you're like, oh, this is so refreshing and these are so good. And then you turn to a page to a psalm and the psalm is like, Lord, see my enemies and kill them. And you're like, whoa, what do I do with this? They're, they're in there. The imprecatory psalms are in there. And there's an imprecatory element to Psalm 56 right here. In wrath, cast down the people, O God. What do we do with this as Christians? What do we do with this as followers of Jesus? I think very practically, we don't have to get hung up on any of the precatory, imprecatory psalms in the Bible. Here's why we don't have to get hung up on them. Here's why I think they are good and God-honoring. Uh, when we look at the totality of Scripture, we know that Jesus tells us very practically when it comes to our enemies, love our enemies, right? Yes? Okay, okay. He does say that, okay? So we, and love our enemies, pray for our enemies. And Book of Romans, Paul will even write, if your enemy needs a cup of cold water, give him one. I think very practically as followers of Jesus, we live with those. We love and we pray for and we extend a helping hand and a cup of cold water to those who would quote unquote be enemies. And yet at the same time, I think when we pray something like your kingdom come, your will be done, we are entrusting justice to God as he would see fit to enact justice. So justice and vengeance isn't ours. God hasn't given us those cards to play, but God is a God. He's a holy and a righteous and a just God. And I think all David is doing here, he's just saying, Lord, I'm entrusting you and your wrath. I'm entrusting a perfectly just God to enact justice as you would see fit. David doesn't say here, Lord, in my wrath, can you let me do it? Anyone ever wanted to say that? Come on. I think he's just trust, entrusting, and I think when you come to imprecatory prayers, um, it's the psalmist crying out, Lord, you are a God of justice. Enact justice in whatever way you see fit to enact justice here, because this is unjust, and unholiness and unrighteousness is furthering. And when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, we are praying, further your righteousness, Lord, and work against unrighteousness while practically we live out, love, pray for, give a cup of cold water. Cool? And so I don't think anything, we have to get hung up with anything imprecatory that we find in the Psalms here. And so David, he's acknowledging what's going on around him. He's saying, like, here's what, here's what it is. Here's what they want to do. And then again, we're finding him cast his trust on the Lord. Verse 8, you have, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back. And the day when I call, this I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Again, he asks it. And again, I would tell us when we find ourselves fearful of people that we would ask it. My trust is in the Lord. What can man do to me? And so he cycles through this two times. And then he comes to the end of this psalm. And at the end of this psalm is this beautiful expression of victory and freedom. And I want us to see all that David is writing when he writes this. Verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. 
Where would he perform his vows? When he goes on, he says, I will render thank offerings to you. Where would he do that? In the tabernacle. I think as David writes this, there is a confidence inside of him. It's like, I'm going to be delivered by the Lord out of all this, and I will be back in the tabernacle offering my sacrifices, offering worship up to the Lord. Look what he goes on to say. For you have, what, um, what's the next word in verse 13? For you have what? Pre- present or past tense? Everyone's like, hold on, English class. Uh, For you have delivered, present or past tense. We know, and we said it last week, from this point in David's life, when we study his life in 1 Samuel, 10 more chapters of him being on on the run from Saul. And yet he writes here, with all of that time still ahead of him, you have delivered my soul from death. There's a confidence that the Lord... it. There's a confidence that he states it like the Lord has already delivered me. You have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. So with a crazy father-in-law after him who wants him dead in the hands of a people who they were at war with before, who he ended the war by taking out their big man. David is expressing freedom and victory and worship right here in the midst of a, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This third thing, and I hope leading us to freedom from fear of man is this. Worshipfully live in the freedom and victory over fear of man. Why is that freeing? Because Proverbs told us fear of man will prove to be a snare. And we don't have to live in that snare. We don't have to live afraid of people. We live with a fear of the Lord. And so my hope for us as followers of Jesus in here, as, and I would just challenge us, that Psalm 5611 would be a verse we commit to memory this week. And Psalm 5611 says this, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then, when you see that kind of rhetorical statement to end, what can man do to me? And your mind in fear wants to go, well, here's what they could do, and here's what they could do, and here's what they could do, and here's what they could do. Take all of those, here's what they can do's, and look for Scripture to combat that comb through the Bible and go, yeah, 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 but God tells me and God promises me, uh, even after the first service, I'm like, okay, like I've been camping out on this all week, like I feel like, man, there's a strong confidence in the Lord, and someone walks up to me and is like, oh man, these, this has been so good talking about fear, and you know, like, have you ever thought of being fearful of this, and have you ever thought of being fearful of this, and man, have you ever thought of fearful, and I'm like, I was so not fear, and now I'm so scared. And all of a sudden, like, there it is, like, ever-present. Guys, we're going to walk out of here in a few moments, and we're going to be bombarded with things and news and all this stuff that fear can come rising up, and fear of man can be so readily apparent in those fears. And Psalm 5611, hidden in our heart, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? As the anthem of our heart as we walk out. Amen. In God I trust. Let me just say, um, if you're in here, that 
first part is super important. If you're in here and you've never personally trusted in the Lord, I want to tell you what that means. Uh, trusting in God is not just some nebulous concept. It's not just like, okay, like I'm going to leave and I'm going to work, I'm going to try to work really hard to trust in God. It's better than that. God loved you so much that he saw you in your sin. He saw that your sin separated him from his holiness, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sin. And then God invites you into relationship. The Bible tells us that we are saved by the grace of God alone, the pure grace of God, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you the promised Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who begins to work in our life and reorient us away from the things, the unhealthy things that we're fearful in this world, the unhealthy people that we're fearful in this world. And the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of us, helping us live with what, what the Bible calls a fear of the Lord. And that is a good fear, and it's a healthy fear, and it's a pure fear, and it's a holy fear. And that fear trumps all of the fears that we have lived with. But my question for you is, just ensuring that you are walking out of here today having put your faith in Jesus Christ. So when you recite and say, in God I trust, you're saying, yeah, I have trusted in God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, calling out to Christ on faith. And if you're like, I don't know if I've ever done that, there'll be people right up here at the front after. You can come talk and make sure that you know you have trusted Jesus Christ. And so church, if you would just stand to your feet and I'm going to send us out of here uh, today. Uh, next week, Pastor Joe continues us through the Psalms in Psalm 125 and I can't wait for that and it's going to be great. I, I hope and I pray that in these first few weeks that God has used his word to expose fears in our heart. Um, someone sent me a note this week that was such a great reminder that fear is the opposite of faith. And so when the Lord, um, when we're living by faith in the Lord and when we say like David, my trust is in God, that is a fear killer. It roots it out and it sends it running. And yet we all know that uh, living with fear isn't something that's just like, boom, we got it, we licked it, it's gone forever. Fear rears its ugly head often. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that we can turn to these Psalms in helping us live victoriously over them. And so, Father, I pray to that end. Would you use your word to help us live by faith and not by fear? Lord, as we look at David's situation here on the run from people who want to hurt him and kill him, he says, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Lord, we don't walk out with the same situation David finds himself in here. And yet fear of man, fear of others, fear of people can rear their heads in our life this week. Lord, I pray, would you help us cling to your scriptures right now to equip us for those moments, to put our trust back in you, to walk in the confidence of that, and to not live in fear of mere mortals on this earth like us. God, please do that. Work that to that end. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Harvest, we love you and we send you.
Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.